the title of the series is What Matters Most. And I wanted for us to start uh, today in 1 John 4, verses 7 through 11. And John writes, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other, right? So we're going to be talking a little bit about love today and about love in action. So as I was looking through this passage in particular and and thinking and praying about this series and this message today, there's a couple of verses in this passage that just I think are just really striking. And I want to go to verse 9. Look at the, how verse 9 begins. God showed us how much he loved us. God showed us how much he loved us. I mentioned this two weeks ago, that if you are uh, if you're a person who's in a marriage relationship or you're, you know, you're courting one another and, and you've, got, you've got this this relationship where you're thinking of saying, I love you. Saying I love you is great. That's awesome. That feels good. But saying I love you better be followed up with acting differently with that person than you do with every other person on earth. Because, as Jacob mentioned this last week, I mentioned it the week before, love has to look like something. If you say, I love you, like if I say to Jennifer, I love you, and then I don't treat her any differently than I treat every other person in in my life, then maybe I don't. We're married, and this is the one relationship that is supposed to be above all other relationships other than God, and if I don't act differently around her, then she doesn't know that I love her. She hears it, but it's not the same as seeing it. Love has to look like something. And that's why in verse 9, it's so important that we see God showed us how much he loved us. We were, at the time, like, you know, like, it's been our, our fallen condition, right? We're in need of restoration. We're in need of salvation. We're in need of so many things. And God could have looked at us and said, I love you, and then walked away. And leave us unchanged, leave us wallowing, leave us in a fallen state. But he didn't. He followed up, I love you, with I want to show you how much I love you. I want you to be able to tell the difference between this and every other being who tells you they love you. Love looks like something. Last week, uh, Jacob Hancock was with us and, and shared that the words of Jesus. He said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. One of the things that love looks like is obedience. Because what that shows the Lord is that we trust and rely on what he said and our relationship with him more than I trust in my own desire, my own uh, fears, more than I trust in my circumstance, more than I trust in any earthly thing, if that takes, if I tell the Lord, I love you, and then he says, we'll do this, and I say, well, that doesn't make sense. 
then he's saying, well, you don't really love me because love looks like something. Love looks like obedience. Love looks like doing the thing that I'm asking you to do because I poured myself out for you. That's kind of where we're going in the next part of this message is that as, as believers, sometimes we embrace a shallower, almost like a worldly concept of love. And we try to apply it to the Lord and our relationship with Him, and it doesn't work. It falls short. We embrace oftentimes a shallow version of love that looks very transactional. Uh, It's a little self-serving. It's a little bit of a feel-good version. And we reduce this concept of loving God and Him loving us to two really self-serving principles like or ideas. I, I say I love God, but what I really mean is I get good things from Him and I like it. And I really want other people to have good stuff from Him. Now, those are good things to feel and good things to think, and they're true. I, I know I appreciate it when God shows me that He loves me get by, by giving His good gifts to me. It makes a difference in my life. It builds me up. It makes me feel happy. Internally, it makes a difference to me. And, that's, and it's fine to, to appreciate him and to, and to enjoy that. And then I also have experiences where I look out in the world and I think, man, I really want other people to really experience that. I want that for them. But it's still internal. It's internal. That's why when we get to verse 10, I just it's so key for us to get this. We get, get to verse 10, and, and John writes, this is real love, not that we loved God. Us loving God is oftentimes just a, a reaction, a response. It, we didn't initiate the love for God. He's, he was here long before any of us were here, and he poured out and sacrificed, and he gave us his only son when we weren't even asking for that. We didn't know what we needed, and he took initiative. And he had a decisive action. He said, I, I love them. I want it to look like something. I want to repair this relationship and make them better than what they are right now. I want to invest in them at my own expense. This is real love. Not that we loved God, because that just makes sense. He saved us. It makes sense that we would respond with love. But that he loved us and that he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Experience our, experiencing inward gratitude or relief at getting a gift from God uh, or happiness that we've received something from Him, and even experiencing inward thoughts of wanting the blessing for other people, it's, it's, it's not the same as what John is describing as being love. Love is a heavy word. We throw around the word love a whole lot in places where, honestly, I don't think we really mean that. Like, we, we say to our spouse, I love you. And I get it. There's a gravity there. But we also say to pizza, I love you. <laughs> right? And I don't think we feel the same way about our spouse and pizza. If you do, then we have biblical counseling with Pam. <laughs> you, should go, you should call her up and, and talk about that. Uh, but we say it about our sports teams. We say, you know, I, I said the other day, oh, man. I love the Longhorns. I don't know that I feel the same way about the Longhorns as I do about Jennifer. Probably not. Probably shouldn't. She's telling me now I shouldn't. Um, But we throw that word around a lot, and oftentimes, 
We miss the gravity of it. John is saying, if, if you don't know love, we're talking about not the kind, of, the kind of love that passes for something that comes from us, which is oftentimes shallow and a little self-serving and a response or a reply to something good happening. If we don't know love, the kind of love that God displays, where we are willing to take initiative, we're willing to sacrifice something that's actually really important to us that we would actually like to keep, but where we're willing to make the first move and make a decisive action to see his glory revealed in someone's life, his kingdom established in someone. If, if we don't know that kind of love, then John argues we don't know God because that is what God loves like. And if we sur are surrendered to him, that love should be flowing through us. It's not natural. Honestly, it's not our human nature because we we're a survival type of creature, right? We were, we were brought into this world and it's like sur survival. We we're concerned about making sure that we have enough, um, you know, throughout history. Like that's why we do a lot of things, that's what drives us. We want to make sure that we're protected, that we're safe, that we're, we're in comfort, that we have enough to eat, that we're not going to die. We are really concerned about protecting our own existence. And so this kind of love isn't really natural for us. It's natural for us to react. It's not really all that natural for us to initiate and to act sacrificially. And so John is writing to us that real love isn't, isn't a human thing. Real love is divine. Real love comes from God. Real love, the way that he's describing it, if we don't know this kind of love, the, the sacrificial, initiative-taking, um, selfless kind of love, if we don't know that, then he's arguing we probably don't know God. John 3.16. This is... Uh, this is a deep cut scripture. You probably have not heard this one before. Um, but I, you know, I like for us to dive into the real deep cuts. You know, I want to make sure that you've heard things like John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God's nature and his desire is to love. God so loved the world. And it results in something very specific and very immediate. God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. And did he give out of his own abundance and making sure that he still had enough sons with him that he could give one away? No, he gave, to, he gave in a way, if this is even possible, he gave to his detriment. He gave away the only son that he had. He gave the only son that he had. God so loved that he gave. And he gave what was precious to him so that none of us would have to be left in the dark, left in the cold, left without him, left hungering, left uh, absent of his presence. He, he gave what was precious to him to restore us to him. That is divine. That is real love. So God's nature is to love, and that love is expressed in sacrificial giving. And, John would argue here, when we surrender to him in obedience, that is the kind of love that flows through us. That's the kind of love that results in 
decisive actions, taking the initiative, things that in our human nature, we're not quite as eager to do because it costs us something, brings us out of our comfort zone. We have to sacrifice stuff like our possessions or our pride or our fear or our own ideas of how things should go. We don't like to sacrifice those things, but God is saying that if we know him and his love is pouring through us, that's exactly what we're motivated to do because it establishes his kingdom and not our own. I was reading an article by uh, this, uh, this author, Eric Raymond, and he said it this way. He said, the love that God requires from the church is not natural. It takes work and it looks different. Instead of being self-referential, it's self-denying. It's not self-referential, it's self-denying. Well, what do I mean by self-referential when we're talking about love? When we're talking about legacy, it can get very self-referential. Right? We're in this, this time of our, our legacy series that's leading up to a legacy offering where we are going to give to pour into something that's outside of our own experience, something that uh, we believe is going to do the work of God in the life of someone else. And yet, when we talk about legacy commonly, we ask a lot of really self-referential questions. We use a lot of personal pronouns that are you know, that are uh, me and my and, and I, we, we ask things like, what, what is my legacy going to be? What legacy will I leave behind? What do I want to be remembered for? What will I do that lives on after me? See how self-focused legacy can be when we start talking about things that live on after us? We have to, we have to reframe it. We have to redefine it. When we're talking about legacy, we're not talking about ourselves, or we shouldn't be. As the body of Christ, it's, it's, it's now not me who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. As the body of Christ, he is the head, the word tells us. He's the head. It's his ideas that we are trying to act out on, on the earth. As his body, as his hands, as his feet, as his eyes, his ears, his, his heart, he is the head. And we are acting out his desires upon this earth and changing the atmosphere for how he feels it should be changed. And so as we're sowing into legacy, and, and again, whether that's with finances or possessions or, or, or acts of kindness that we do for other people, or, or you know, relationally, as we're sowing in to, to establish a legacy, we're not building it for ourselves. We can't. If we try to build it for ourselves, it doesn't last. I was... Uh, I was reminded this week of a, of a, a pomegranate tree that um, <laughs> pomegranate tree is, uh, it's an unusual tree. <laughs> if you've ever grown one or been stuck by the thorns that are really, really, really huge. My, uh, we were living in a house in, in Kyle in uh, Plum Creek subdivision. Really cute neighborhood, lots of picket fences everywhere. Um, and uh, while we were living there, that was the season when my dad passed away, and my dad liked to plant things and grow things and stuff, and he had this pomegranate tree in a, it wasn't a tree yet, it was like a tree lit, it was little. Um, it, was in, it was in a pot, right, and it was, it was a little bitty thing. I didn't know what it would become. It was, it was small at the time and cute, and I thought, oh, that's amazing. I asked mom, can, can I plant that at the house? I would love to have that as, to remember dad. By. I'd love to have something growing in our yard that really came from him. And she said, oh, he would love 
for you to do that. He would so we're talking about legacy, right? We're talking about things that live on after us. And I, I didn't know at the time that a pomegranate tree doesn't grow like a tree. It grows like a big, angry thorn bush with fruit that you have to break open and then you get like a little seed and then, and I don't, I don't understand pomegranates. I really don't. Um, and I, I don't see what the fuss is all about. But it wasn't too long before we had this huge monster like tree that was overtaking the back corner of our yard and you can't get close, you can't prune it because they got really big thorns and you end up like looking like you've been in a fight and, and the other guy looks good and you look bad. And, and so all of that to say, we don't live in that house anymore, <laughs> right? That, that tree that I planted to remember dad by, and mom said, oh, legacy, that's really beautiful. He would love that. I'm sure he would, but I don't live in that house anymore. I planted it. I'm sure the tree is still growing, and they don't like me to drive by very much and slow down <laughs> and see if it's growing. They think I'm up to something. But when... If I go to that neighborhood, I'm sure I'll see that tree, but it's not in my life anymore. It's not in my life. The things that we plant here on earth that are of our own idea, our own things, those are natural things. One day, that tree's going to die. It's not going to serve anyone anymore. You know, the things that we build up in the natural to try and have people remember us will go away. They will... That's the thing about stuff in, in the world, right? It changes ownership. Let's say you want to go and build a huge building, put a plaque of your name on it and say, I want everybody to remember this building. I, I bought this. I built it. I want people for generations to remember that I built this. Well, like five owners later, when you're long gone and they remove the plaque that has your name on it because it doesn't go with the decor, um, no one will remember you. This is the inspirational, motivational part of the message. <laughs> no one will remember you for that building. It's just a building. It just changes hands. There's this uh, Switchfoot song that I absolutely love, like many Switchfoot songs. And uh, no, there's a lyric, and it's called Gone. And the lyric that I love so much, he, said, he writes, all the riches of the kings end up in wills. The riches of the kings add up in wills. You can have as much accumulated here as you can possibly imagine. And when you go, it goes to someone else. It just changes hands, changes ownership. It's not connected to you at all anymore. So when we're talking about legacy, we need to reframe and not be so self-referential. What is my legacy going to be? What am I going to plant? What am I going to do? We're the body of Christ. We are surrendered to God in his hopes that we will embody the giver. We surrender to Jesus and we ask for him to take our lives over so that the things that we produce don't give glory to us, but they give glory to him. They last forever because the things that are sown into the kingdom are eternal. The things that are sown into my backyard eventually die, right? The things that, are, the things that you build here on earth, eventually they change hands and they go to someone else. The things that we sow into the kingdom because it was God's idea and God's heart and our surrendered obedience, those things last forever. Uh, Romans 11.36 says this, For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. Legacy is actually about other people. It's not about us. I know we oftentimes get 
these delusions of grandeur, like we're going to build something that's going to last forever and people are going to remember us and write about us in the history books. Again, motivational speech, probably not. Probably not. But what's more important, that they remember my name or that they remember his? They need to remember him. They need to remember Jesus. Jesus changes us. He changes us so that we see things the way he sees them. And then he asks us to go do the things as he would do them. We have to see it the way that he sees it. So that way when he says, okay, now I want you to do this, we don't ask why. Because we see it the way he sees it. That's, that's actually my prayer right now. Jesus, change our hearts. Do whatever you need to do in our hearts, Lord, and in our eyes and in our minds to be able to see this life as you see it, to see other people as you see them. That way, when, when you ask us to move, when you ask us to act, when you ask us to take initiative and to make a decisive action, we won't question you. We'll just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. He wants us to see as he does and do as he does so that way the legacy that we create is not ours. It's his. Everything comes from him. Everything exists by his power. Everything is intended for his glory. If it's intended for our glory, it will fade away and die with us. But if it's intended for his glory, it makes a lasting difference that goes on forever. As we've been uh, talking about legacy and legacy offering and, and, and what God might be doing, I was looking back at some of the things that he's done. Jennifer and I have been here two years now, just a little over two years. Woo! Woo! I know. Woo! I love it that someone wooed that. That was awesome. That'll make you feel good. Um, it's better than, oh. Um, yeah, so I was looking back. So we've been here about two years, but we've seen three different legacy offering seasons at One Chapel Liberty Hill. And I think it's really interesting what God has done. We're talking about what matters most. All of the things that he's led over these three years have been, I think, things that matter most to him. They're important to him. And it's, again, it's always up to us to surrender and to ask, God, what would you have me do? What do you want to do? What would you have me do to move your vision forward? So I'm looking back at 2021. There was a lot of things that he was moving in us to build and to beautify and to prepare right here on this campus in 2021. We're talking about building things and construction projects and stuff. And we, 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 we were led to sow into that throughout the year. And it, it took our church from being a place that's like, uh, oh my, I think it might be condemned. I'm not really sure. <laughs> to a place where people drive by and they go, that's such a cute church. <laughs> Going from condemned to cute, that should be an HGTV show. <laughs> condemned to cute, right? Okay, somebody write that down. We're going to send it off and see what they say. Yeah, condemned to cute. I think that's great. We went from condemned to cute. And, it, and the, it's, it's a wonderful, I think that matters to God that we take care of his house that we prepare it for people that he might want to bring in. Not only that we prepare the outside, but that we prepare our hearts to receive everyone that he brings in the door and have them experience him and leave saying, that felt like home. I feel like God was there. I think that's important to him. And that's what 2021, that was a focus there. 2022, he widened out our focus. We, a bulk of our, of our legacy offering that year went to Operation Liberty Hill. We sowed a, 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 a gift and then some on, ongoing monthly contributions to, to Operation Liberty Hill 
So he, he took us from taking care of this house. Now that that's good and underway, let's widen our gaze. Let's look out in our community. And we partnered with, and we still do, we partner with an organization that is meeting the needs of some of the neediest in our immediate area. And they are taking care of people. And they are doing the work of God. They are establishing kingdom, and we are pouring into that. Now, this year, we're talking about looking beyond just our immediate area. What matters to God? Kids matter to God. Kids matter to God. The next generation matters to God. And bringing people out of oppression and darkness matters to God. Rescuing people matters to God. And so a branch of of Mountain Gateway The Village Global is an organization, as I mentioned before, in case you haven't been here, I'm going to tell you again, it's an organization in Mexico where they are physically going into places where kids have been abducted and they are enslaved in sex trafficking. And Village Global is going into those places and they're grabbing those kids and bringing them out. They are rescuing, like physically rescuing them and bringing them into a place where they are safe where they can find out who they are in God and how much God loves them. He's, he's, he's moving in Mexico through this group, through Village Global to rescue and bring people into freedom. And, and a, a big part of our vision in, in, in this legacy offering season is to invest and to sow into that because that matters to God. And it's been really beautiful to see this progression of these last three years of of taking care of the house, establishing something that can look out into our community, establishing something that is partnered with our community and can now look even further out, outside of our time, outside of our space, outside of our borders, and actually and do some further work of the kingdom. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. And that is, as John was describing it, that's, that's love. That's what love looks like sacrificing whatever he asks us to sacrifice, sacrificing our time, sacrificing our pride, sacrificing our possessions. If he says, would you do this? Would you sow into this? And that's, that's something that I haven't mentioned yet that is so important for us to get. When we're talking about sacrificial love, he works in our hearts. Whatever it is that we're giving, it's not about the thing. It's never, if, if, if you're giving money in an offering, it's not about the money. God can take care of everything. If, if he's asking us to give anything, it's not about the thing. The thing is never the thing. The heart is always the thing. Are we willing? What's the condition of our heart? Is it so surrendered that if he said, I would like for you to give this, that we would do it? Or... Are we withholding from him to where he says, I would like you to give this, and we say, that's a good idea, but I've got a good idea, and it doesn't involve as much. And and so anytime we're talking about legacy, we're talking about giving, we're talking about serving, we're talking about offering, any of these things that God is moving us to do, it's never really about the thing. It's always about the heart. And is he creating in us a people who's willing to just say yes? and do what he's asking us to do. Surrendering to this kind of love, it does a couple things. It lifts our eyes off of our individual benefit. Whether we get anything out of it or not is not the issue. It puts what matters most to him on our hearts. 
When we surrender to this kind of love, it moves us to do what he does and to take initiative and to make a decisive action to extend, our, to extend a hand first and not to wait until someone's done something for us to respond. That's what he does. God so loved the world that he first gave his son. When we surrender to this kind of love, it reveals Jesus to the world. Because honestly, the world doesn't do this. The world doesn't take initiative. The world doesn't sacrifice. The world doesn't do things the way God does. So when you do, it makes a huge difference. And people say, wow, I've never been treated like this before. Sometimes it's as simple as a hug or a conversation or being noticed. Some people go through life feeling unnoticed. And when you notice them, the world changes. When we are willing to surrender to this kind of love and be led by this kind of love, it builds the legacy of Jesus. In the example that we were just talking about, somebody feeling unnoticed and you go and the Lord leads you to notice them. We don't care if they remember who we are. That's not the point. I don't want someone to go home and say, man, I met this really awesome guy, gray fox that guy was. He was amazing. <laughs> and th this guy was incredible. I just, oh man, and he made me feel so, that's not the point. I was unsure if I should say that or not. <laughs> Clearly I've chosen poorly. But the, the point's not to be, not for me to be remembered. The important thing is, are we building a legacy for Jesus? Are we pointing people to him? Matthew 6, 19 through 21. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think it works inversely as well. If we ask God to put our heart in a place, he's going to lead us to put our treasure there. And we fulfill the scripture, where my treasure is, that's where my heart is. That's where, because that's where God's heart is. 